This episode is sponsored by Know Your Company. Got 25 to 75 people in your company? Check out knowyourcompany.com, software that helps companies like Airbnb know their company better. Knowyourcompany.com. BBC time is 11 p.m. And now, Mutual of Edinburgh's We World of Beasties. This is Duncan. And this massive pile of s*** is leered. And welcome to Mutual of Edinburgh's We World of Beasties. The only show produced in Scotland about the wondrous majesty of nature's creatures. The only show presented by real Scotsmen. Oh, look that wee girl, Edinburgh. Aye, let's get to it. This picture sent in from Dunkeld. Two-headed shape! What a disgusting! That's an abomination! Aye, that's too bad. Did you see the video that came from Glenfinnan? Of the cat what looks like a baby? Aye, it's all hairless and squirmy. A sight I cannot unsee! I don't have any any cream! Now you're playing its game. You got that right! Postcard from Bremer of a f***ing ugly dig! Look how ugly that wee f***er is! Right, share its arse and teach it to work backwards! Marginal improvement! Page three of the Dumbarton Daily Herald! Colour photo of Siamese cows! Two for one T-bones! Cheeky farmer named it Jimunai! Utterly ridiculous! There! Commercial! News! Aye, commercial! Do you or someone you love suffer from seasonal affective disorder? University of Glasgow is looking for test subjects to participate in a cutting-edge study. Participants may be compensated for their time and may or may not receive study-related medications. C***s need not apply. If you're a wee crybaby, contact the University of Glasgow and tell them how sad you are. Maybe they'll pay you. They're living in the wrong f***ing country! And we're back! Leard! Aye? I saw it again. Ah, oh, Duncan, shut your gob. I'm sick to damn death of hearing about your spooky deer. It's not spooky. It's mad. And it's terrifying. It's out in me woods. And it keeps staring at me. Foaming at the mouth with green foam. Because it eats things like grass and weeds. And other things probably eats other creatures. But mostly grass. It's mad. I've seen it since I was ten. It's followed me around, Laird. It's a mad deer. If it was mad, it would have died. And if it was truly mad, it wouldn't still be eating weights. It would have come after your poxy arse who's crying. Oh, mummy, I see the deer again. I see the deer again. Don't you talk about me, ma. You wouldn't have that attitude if you saw the deer. Moving on. Oh. YouTube video of the drunkest pig in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even know the drunk wave. I can't even walk. That's a right wee right there. That's right. Next week on Mutual of Edinburgh's We Were the Besties. A turtle that thinks it's so great. Spawn. Bye! It's off! Hello, everybody! <laughs> I, I had to think it over, but I, I, think I've, I think I've hit maximum. 
Scott Max already. Right out the gate. I'm all out of Scots to give. <laughs> I got no Scots to give. Yeah, man. We've we've got to start doing these intros at the end so that we have voices for the actual episode. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, but there's like an infectious amount of energy that it imparts to us. That's true. It is like a, a jump starter. So mm-hmm. welcome everyone to Blurry Photos. Howdy. I'm David Flora. I'm Dave Stecco. You caught us. Bay, Bay caught <laughs> us did. podcasting. You still, <laughs> still love them though. Oh man. We have got a great out of left field episode for you this time. Um, I agree. It was a, a last minute uh, audible on our part because Flora, as Flora does, came up with a great idea. So we uh, shelved our initial plan for this week. Yeah. And uh, don't worry. Don't worry. Y'all going to get yours. Y'all going to get what you want. You're going to get it hard. Yep. You're, yep. you're going to get it hard. All right. That's, that's, <laughs> okay. that's the last time that, that comes out. Um Ooh. Red red flag. Red okay. flag. <laughs> <laughs> Yellow flag. Yellow flag, everybody. <laughs> Take a lap. Double the research this week, which is which has been a mind flare in itself. But yeah. gonna pay off in spades. That's right. Sam spades. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like that. Uh little breadcrumb there. That's right. Well, I'll tell you what, before we get into it proper, I just want to remind everybody if you haven't yet. Please go over to iTunes, leave us a review, five stars, por favor. Yep, yep, yep. Go yep. over to Facebook and like our uh, page. Go join the uh, Blurry Photos fan page who just hit three hildos. They're going to be They're going to be they're going to have more than more likes than us. <laughs> and good on them. Good they're they're better people than we are, so they deserve that. That's very true. You know what uh speaking of milestones, you know what just rocketed by Flora and I without us really being aware of it because we keep our eyes on the prize. Flora, what was our gigantic metric milestone we passed last month? Well, um, just sort of happened to be according to the numbers that we can pull, if they are to be believed. Well, but they, they come straight from the uh, the Illuminati, so they and they've got the best sets of numbers. So believe me, uh, <laughs> we we apparently have surpassed one million total lifetime downloads. That is braggable, son. One mildo. <laughs> we have a lifetime mildo, and, and you guys to thank for that. So thank you. Yeah, you guys are glorious. Thank you so much. And so that's why we're we're telling you, go on and <laughs> keep well, yeah, the train gotta... moving. Sh- shovel that coal in the form of likes mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. reviews, and the train chugga, keeps chugga, rolling. Chugga, 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 chugga. Toot, toot. And real quick, uh, don't forget also, in case you haven't heard yet, to go to obaku.com to check out their wonderful selection of watches that uh, Dave and I just love. Uh, you get a discount of 30% off until May 14th with the offer code BLURRYS6. That's Blurry S and the number six. Like season six. Get it? Get it. So please, please go check those guys out. They've been very kind to us, and we would like to be very kind to them too. So, business out of the way. Oh, now it's time for the to mice to play. Right? That's, That's how that phrase right. goes. That's how it business goes. out of the way. Mice come out to play. <laughs> Is this our new mullet format? <laughs> business up front, party in the back. That's how it's gonna work. <laughs> Sweet, I love it. Could have worked for the '80s episode, but oh well. <laughs> oh, that was great. We're going to be talking about a figure from, I would say, Fortiana. Yeah, ultimately, that uh, directly in some in some regards. Yeah, yeah. 
that has influenced who knows uh, how many people uh, ha- has had direct impacts on the things that we've researched and talked about and uh, has appeared just as recently as the Living Dinosaurs episode. Yeah, you guys loved that one. <laughs> the Living quote-unquote Dinosaurs episode. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Ivan T. Sanderson. You know what the T stands for? Tough guy. Thunder sound. Yeah, Ivan Thundersound Sanderson. <laughs> Might as well be. <clears throat> you know what it could it could also stand for? What? Ivan Sukolos Sound. Is such a thing even possible? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes. You, you, you wouldn't uh, think so. That T's silent. <laughs> it's true. Ivan the Frankenduck. <laughs> Just okay, the and dude. whatever sound. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Rain okay. it in. Rain it in. <laughs> Sanderson. Sanderson. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, in our travels through the unknown and the general weirdity, <laughs> we come across familiar characters from time to time, Dave. We, we, yes, is, we do. This is a common thing for us. Uh, men in black, shadow people, UFOs, sandhill cranes. These are common players. We, we come across those guys. Uh, a lot. Yep. MIBs. They were in the, they, they sort of were in the, the last episode on Polybius, right? Yep. These are who we deal with, you know, uh, talking about what we talk about, although they kind of live on the fantastical side of the paranormal train tracks. But on this side, the living, breathing, provable side, we have Charles Fort, Plenty the Elder, Carl Young, Carl Young, Dave's best friend, Lauren Coleman. <laughs> oh, boy. And, huh. Ivan T. Sanderson. That's right. These are all pioneers and leaders in the stuff you're listening to this podcast for. Uh, cryptozoology, urban legends, Fortiana. Banging holes in the Titanic. We mention their names so often when detailing phenomena out that we like to circle back sometimes and give them their due. And so it is with the subject of this episode, Mr. Ivan T. Sanderson. A legend. In cryptozoology, Sanderson seemed like the type of person you might expect to hear about in a thrilling radio adventure or pulp novel where the hero braves the darkest jungles in the name of science, right? Were there pulp novels like that? Oh, God, yeah. Okay, good. I mean, I mean, uh, okay, you, you weren't asking me to name any. Good. No, no. I, who cares? Sanderson was uh, <laughs> an interesting character, well-read and well-traveled, a spy in World War II, an explorer in Africa, a radio and TV host in America. He followed the works of Fort and was a friend, like Dave, of Lauren Coleman. <laughs> not like me, an not, actual no, friend not actually. who didn't, didn't make an awkward joke at the worst time to a stranger. <laughs> God, put that on my tombstone. <laughs> Here lies Dave Stecco. I'm he a made master an odd debater. Joke at- he made a bad joke at an awkward time to a stranger, and everyone will think it's referencing them. <laughs> That's true. I've been called a master debater. <laughs> I can't believe how how long was I away from the table for real? Like you missed like everything. A minute forty seconds, something stupid like that. <laughs> You know what, though? At least you were completely away from it, because what if you had walked up just as I'm delivering the payload of this mirth bomb? <laughs> then you're just like, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, <laughs> then I would have been like, get out of my table, hobo. <laughs> beat it, beat it. 
Sorry, Mr. Coleman. Had you to know, save these... you from that wandering degenerate. I don't know where he came from or who he is. These table squatters are getting worse every year, am I right? <laughs> That's the real Sasquatch. You should have taken a picture. Anyway, would you like to be on our show? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how it should have gone. Anyway, Ivan T. Sanderson, he was charming, he was handsome, and he had a Hollywood voice with an accent that Americans called British and Brits called American. Hated by all! <laughs> He could certainly be a contender for the most interesting man in the world. We'll take a look at his life, his adventures, and his contributions to not only cryptozoology, but the unexplained in general. Yep, yep. How much did you know about him before, Dave? Uh, just, I mean, the things... I've got a, a book by him in my own... Which one? Nerd Library. Um, it is about... It was. I think it is just... Let me see if I can remember... Oh, you know what? It's funny. Now that I look it up, um, it's actually by Lauren Coleman and Jerome Clark. It's Cryptozoology A to Z. But uh, the reason I thought it was by him is that uh, Ivan T. Sanderson shows up in like every other entry of this book. He is all over this thing. Hilarious. Yeah. So sorry. Yeah. But anyway, it's a really great book. If you if you want to pick it up, uh, plug for no reason at all, $7.38 on Amazon. There you go. It's a, it's a great book. Sorry, sorry, Lorman. Lauren, uh, let me just try to sell your book at least. <sighs> Lorman? <laughs> I just, well, he is a Lorman. He's a man of lore. <laughs> Lorman Mole Man. <laughs> I can't. I just have to stop trying. There's nothing I can do that doesn't dig this deeper. Lorman Mole Man. <laughs> Stop saying Lorman Mole Man. <laughs> I can't breathe. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, yeah, so uh, Ivan Ivan showed up, uh, like we said, a lot for us in past episodes, but I don't think, I, I know I'd never looked into what he was doing uh, in his time on Earth, uh, besides just some of the, like, entries for this uh, cryptid or uh, something about the ley lines when we talked about the vile vortices and stuff. So anyway, uh, it was uh, fun to do this research. It was very compelling all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. This guy, this guy is kind of like a, I mean, I don't want to say unsung cause he's sung, but I don't think he's sung enough or loud enough. Yeah. He's not, not as much of a household name these days. It's true, but we're going to fix that. We're putting him on the map yeah, let's today. Put there. Let's talk about his life. Dave. Yeah. He was born Ivan Terence Sanderson on January 30th, 1911 in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, he was the son of Arthur and Stella Sanderson. Uh, his mother was a bill broker, which is uh, sort of an old-timey financial occupation. And his father got, I mean, what wasn't this guy doing? <laughs> he was a whiskey manufacturer, served as a lieutenant in the British Army, and was one of the world's top marksmen. Yep. yep. Served as part of the first Lovett Scouts, the first known military unit to wear a ghillie suit, and in 1916 formally became the British Army's first sniper unit. Until then, they were just known as sharpshooters in general. And as you can imagine, in Scotland, the whiskey business was always very good to them. And uh, so Ivan and his family didn't really worry about money very much. And so... Uh, you'll hear that Arthur Sanderson was killed by a rhino during an expedition in Africa in 1925. This is a badass fact. 
but it is also a half-ass fact. <laughs> uh, a rhino did indeed charge Arthur and tore into his right thigh, leaving him semi- semi-conscious and bleeding out. Uh, his colleagues, though, managed to patch him up, and he did make a slow recovery, but ended up dying of pneumonia uh, several weeks later. So, um, you know, call it how you I see why people say the rhino got him. Well, sure. And, you know, it could be complications with uh, the injury. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, pneumonia is an opportunistic thing that it loves preying on the weak. Yeah. And uh, if you're if you're in Africa in 1925 and just got stitched up from a rhino goring. Yeah. You're not you're not doing so hot. Nope. But what a way to go. Yeah. Man, on top. So as a boy, I even worked as a deckhand on a ship supplying fuel for the Allies during World War One. then as a cabin boy at the age of nine on a Norwegian whaling ship in the North Atlantic. So his love of travel was well-established at a young age. He's bopping all over the place. Ivan was well-educated, attending private schools in his youth and Eton College, which was a boarding school uh, prior to university. And graduating early, he traveled for a year collecting rats for the British Museum and even turned 17 on top of the Great Pyramid. What a birthday. Uh, yeah, man. What has, has this guy ever just just sat down and, and just took a nap? No. <laughs> he traveled on to Asia, ending up in Japan. And then from there, he sailed to San Francisco, where he bought a very nice car, apparently at the time, uh, with the money that he had left in his travels. Then he drove to Hollywood ended up giving Greta Garbo a ride, subsequently saying that she was a very rude person. And then, Oh! <laughs> yeah. And then from there, he drove across the U.S., eventually ending up in New York, where he sold the car and got a ticket home with more money than he had when he got to the U.S. It was a very nice car. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing about blurry photos. We're not afraid to tell you the truth about Greta Garbo. <laughs> I, know, I know a lot of the media won't touch her, but... Greta Garbo, she was, touchable. It, touchable. <laughs> Rude. We're on the record. <laughs> yeah, so he just, it was basically like summer of traveling and working. Like he'd, he'd go to a place, work an odd job, get some money to, to go to the next place and, and just keep going. He traveled across uh, the states doing that. I think he worked on maybe an oil rig at some point. Of course. Yeah. Another badass job. But uh, he, he just did a little bit of everything. You know, it, back when you could do shit like that. Right. Yeah. You, you can just, like, tramp it out and, and come back and be like, yeah, I, I hung out at a silver mine, found a nugget, sold it for a burrow, took the burrow to, you know, San Francisco, gambled, won five times the amount of money, 23 skidoo, I'm back here in New York, and I own an airplane company. <laughs> right. And I sold the copyright to 23 Skidoo. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> now it's Creative Commons. Everybody can use it. Yeah, now it's, I uh, went to Cancun. Uh, they stole my wallet. They wouldn't let me back into the United States, so... Yeah, de- defaulted, <laughs> defaulted on my mortgage and student loans <laughs> yeah. and credit card. So now I'm, um, I don't know, I, I found a job. I'm a mule for a drug cartel. Uh, I get to travel. Yeah, see, I get to see the sides. Meet lots of interesting characters. <laughs> oh. 
1929, he attended Trinity College uh, at the Cambridge University in England, then postgraduate studies at Cambridge and the University of London. He earned a master's with honors in zoology, geology, and botany from Cambridge. And he also read in, or I guess that's the uh, English equivalent of being a minor uh, in physical anthropology and prehistory and wrote a thesis while teaching at Cambridge, but never submitted it for a PhD because he staunchly believed that any old body could get one and it did not make you a doctor like in the States. Yeah, he, he was pretty uh, thoroughly under the belief that a doctorate had to come with like seven years hard work. You, you get a PhD, but then you go on to be a professor which is above uh, a PhD level over there. There's a whole whole system. I don't know if it's changed, but that's what, what he had said. <laughs> right. But that them's a lot of degrees. Yeah, yeah. He was doing pretty good by then. He was pretty diploma rich. <laughs> In the 30s, he went on numerous expeditions to Africa for biological research. One trip involved an attack by a Kongamato, a creature he said to be a relic pterosaur, um, Remember that we one. discussed that yeah. we did. We, we never discussed that because we never did an episode about that. Oh, right. I'm denying it from here on out. <laughs> what, what was the community season that they wanted to forget? Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, yeah, it's, uh, that's our season four. That's our, our, it's not lost. You can find it. Wheels just never own it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just didn't deny it. It was a gas leak. <laughs> <laughs> <A> gas leak. <laughs> Ivan said it was more likely the granddaddy of all bats. Uh, he also married a girl by the name of Alma Viola Guillaume de Ville in 1934. Um, he claimed that she was originally from Madagascar, but was educated in England. But from marriage records, she was most likely born Alma Viola Williams in Omaha, Nebraska, and raised in Chicago. Uh, they married in 1935 in England, and he continued to travel and collect specimens for research, this time in Haiti, Morocco, Suriname, Mexico, and parts of South America. In 1941, he was called into service for British naval intelligence. Of course he was. Excuse me, old chap. See, you've been around the block a few times. Mind helping us? Bit of a bother with the Germans. <laughs> Bit of a blitz going on, old boy. Do you mind pulling your weight a bit there? Hate to ruin your holiday, chap. But as it is, the crown needs you. Pip, pip, tanqueray, beef eater and all that. <laughs> Step up on everything. <laughs> mind the gap. Another such thing. <laughs> Trafalgar Square. <laughs> King's Cross and such. Jesus. <laughs> wow, we haven't... Marmalade. <laughs> Biscuit, not that kind. Uh, <laughs> so he was he was called into service for the British Naval Intelligence, apparently for his language skills and cover as a naturalist. Nobody's going to suspect somebody who's just catching animals. Never. They never do. They never do. He was sent to Mexico where he got, or built maybe, a schooner and was under U.S. command from 41 to 44 working in counter-espionage and anti-submarine warfare against the Germans. He said, During World War II, I was engaged in counter-espionage duties in the Caribbean and thereabouts, employing my own schooner. The Nazis had become outrageously bold, surfacing submarines in daylight to do their laundry and signaling each other and their chums ashore by searchlights at night. The Nazi shore party set up ingenious devices with battery-powered lights in various colors. 
Finding and reporting them was a tough job, even though a sailing vessel is quieter than a powered one. Some sources say Ivan was a close friend of Ian Fleming. However, this is not really verified, as there doesn't seem to be evidence of a direct link between the two, at least from what I found. Ivan did know a few people close to Fleming, including his actual older brother, Peter, but it looks like uh, he never knew Ian himself. Well, if he did, he probably found him rude as well. <laughs> Every famous person he knew was rude. Right. Yeah, that's his, that's his life. That'd be great. Fucking spy. Right? How about that? This guy is like, hey, I, I built a boat. I'm going to hunt Nazis for a while in the Caribbean. <laughs> I mean, yeah. even if it's a scam, it's a great one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, 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 guys. U-boats all through this. Could you hand me that rum? Yeah, there's U-boats everywhere. Yeah. It's not a steel drum. This is a radar assembly. Gotta find those Germans. No, 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 not that rum. The other rum. <laughs> <laughs> In 1943, Ivan was transferred to London to the British Foreign Office doing propaganda work. He was sent to New York and was in sole charge of all propaganda for the British and U.S. governments for all countries, with the exception of the British Empire, U.S. territory, and enemy-occupied territory. So... Everywhere but there. That's a that's a big job. I think so. Yeah, and it's what's what's weird is like I don't I don't see where, where, where the well he seemed to do quite well with that schooner. How about we put him in charge of propaganda? <laughs> I don't know. Or or maybe somebody was like, this guy is a world class bullshit artist. <laughs> he's. <laughs> I mean, oh, we figured out what you've done. Do you want a job? Yeah, he's convinced the Americans and the British that we need to pay him to, to sail around in his boat in wartime. <laughs> so, yeah, he should be the guy that's doing propaganda. Uh, in April of 47, he came back to the United States and took out citizenship papers. Quote, I did not approve of the British socialist government and refused to do propaganda work for them. He said, uh, quote, we parted with expressions of mutual disgust. And on the way out, he was like, by the way, you're Doctorates are rubbish. <laughs> Pish, posh, sir. Schoon you later. <laughs> Schooner, I hardly know her. <laughs> uh, the war had destroyed his home and everything he had back in Britain, which might be one of the reasons he was so willing to leave, I guess. Uh, and he basically had to start from scratch in New York. Uh, he ended up getting a contract for a book and hosting a show about natural science and live wild animals on NBC and WNBT in 1948 as television just started to pick up steam, which he then parlayed into a five-day-a-week, 15-minute radio spot for WNBC and then turned that into a one-hour-a-week radio roundtable on science on NBC and two half-hour episodes per week on TV. So he's becoming a little media darling. He really is. I mean, the man's well-educated, he, right? He's, he's done a lot, seen a lot, all that good stuff. So pretty easy for him to start from quote unquote scratch, especially when everybody's like throwing themselves at him to get him on radio and TV. Yeah. Anyway, uh, 1950, he did five 15 minute radio spots per week for WBAL Baltimore. One 15 minute TV spot on WEAL-TV Baltimore and was the science research director for the WBAL station when they had stuff like that for radio. Yeah. He also hosted the first commercial color television program in history for CBS, a show called The World is Yours, 
and he did that for a half an hour, five days a week for six months. Once a week, he hosted a half hour long color telecast for CBS, a show called New Horizons. From 51 to 52, he did five 15 minute weekly radio spots on WSTC Stanford, Connecticut on behalf of the Stanford Museum and Zoo. He also appeared on program 223 of the Eleanor Roosevelt program. <laughs> this was on August 17, 1951, in which he discussed his new book, How to Know the North American Mammals. Uh, I looked and looked for audio of, of that show, and I think it exists if we were to ask the FDR library in New uh, York to send it to us somehow or another, which... We're not that they, good of a podcast. I mean, you well, probably already know that, but they they might they might do it if we had the time. But uh, I I found the transcript of it. So if anybody's interested in reading about <laughs> reading the transcript of that show, she just talked to him about this new book and uh, some of you know the adventures he had and stuff. Um, anyway, ask uh, let me know if, if right if, if <laughs> yeah. you're interested. <laughs> so from uh, 1951 to 58. He did a once-a-week regular feature spot on the Gary Moore Morning Show, and he did this with live animals. If he uh, come on, Gary, it should have been morning show, <laughs> or I could have called it Good Morning with Gary Moore. God, could have been little more in your cup with Gary <laughs> in the mornings. <laughs> There's no more there. There's no more. No more. There's always more with Gary. Quote, I spent 10 years hauling wild animals onto television two or three times a week, he said, and I never got bitten, scratched, or even trodden on. This was not just good luck. There was some kind of communication there. I have no idea what it was. Maybe I smelled right to them or had the right pitch of voice or I just didn't care. <laughs> That's not to say, though, that animals weren't pretty wild at times. Uh, a monkey got away once, climbed up into the studio rafters. Uh, there was, I read one story, I didn't write it down, but I remember um, there was a crow. He was doing a show on birds, I think, and, and he had a crow uh, that behaved very well for its spot, and then they brought out a hawk, and that crow freaked oh. the F out. <laughs> yeah, yes, it, it, yeah, rightfully yeah. so. It flew up into the rafters and stayed there for the rest of the damn show, just squawking and calling and uh yeah that was apparently pretty pretty a pretty hilarious thing because everything was live then you know <laughs> they didn't taste stuff uh and then one time in 1951 he was doing a segment uh on african bees when they got loose and flew down fifth avenue <laughs> which pro producers producers you know who at the time were a little cagey were like not the bees not the bees! <laughs> oh, not the bees! They're in my eyes! Now, there was a supposed myth about New York City bees being harder workers than other bees around New York State. Uh, which, you know, that might just be local pride, but uh, that actually may be because the African bees bred with local populations of bees. Who knows? They just... <laughs> This guy I brought a bunch of Africanized bees. Oh, there, there they go. There they go. Oh, well. Boy, these bees make honey butter. They also work till seven at night. 
<laughs> One of them even took my wallet. A newspaper columnist recounted in 1953, quote, at another show, a big alligator was the animal guest. It looked sleepy and had to be dragged out on the stage by three men. But the minute it laid eyes on glamorous Denise Lohr, the show's vocalist, there was no holding back. It kept edging closer and closer to her, pulling the three men along with it. When Denise realized that the animal had designs on her, maybe a bite out of her shapely leg, oh. she made a mad dash for the safety of her dressing room. Check out the gams on that dame. Chompity chomp chomp. <laughs> So this guy, so after becoming uh, an international Superman, was like, since I can clearly do whatever I want. I'm going to be the first Jack Anna. Right. Yeah. He decided he was going to be like the, the, the first Steve Irwin. Because I can see, yeah, I, my, my favorite part's the bees. And, and the, <laughs> the other thing is that I, I like the story about the alligator. Is it, it implies... Like that, it had designs on her. There's sort of a weird, like it just thought she Sexist was hot kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nope, nope. Just wanted to eat her. Turns out that alligator was Mort Stevenson, one of the producers. Oh. Hey. <laughs> now, uh, in 1952, uh, in 1952, things are about to change again for our boy Ivan. Ivan got a call about a monster in the backwoods of West Virginia, so he took a trip down to Braxton County, a little place called Flatwoods. Ever heard of it? Thunder Sal. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to bring him back in. Good habit. He was fascinated by the incident and detailed his his investigation in his later book, Uninvited Visitors, A Biologist Looks at UFOs. And see, now I love this because this is a guy who for his whole life has just been running around and finding weird shit. And so was like, yeah, I know there's weird shit. You know, it doesn't have to you know, be purple and have, you know, laser eyes, but you know, why, why not hunt for weird stuff? Yep. Can't be any worse than those bees I had on that show. <laughs> so he was there at the same time as gray Barker and spoke to the boys that witnessed the quote monster from uh, what episode is that? Here we go. Uh, episode one twenty seven. If anyone's interested in uh, jumping into the Wayback machine on the, uh, the archives. Yep. Anyway, from their description and drawings, uh, he thought that if it was an alien, it was in a type of suit like divers would wear with a pilot inside, and that the multiple, quote, aerial machines might have crashed in the area. Also in 52, he bought land in New Jersey to establish a zoo. I would love to believe in my head. He was like, I'm going to catch these, these, these monsters, and I'm putting them in a zoo. That, that's my plan. I got to find Flatwoods Monster. Uh, Listen, I, I got some land in Jersey, and I'd love to, I'd love to keep talking to you guys, but I, I got to find that Flatwoods monster. <laughs> no, 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 no. My plan is for the devil, the Jersey devil, to come to me. I got to go find the Flatwoods monster. <laughs> Have you guys seen my cousin Danny? <laughs> he's looking for somebody, too. Yeah, he's like, I think he's a lapa or something. I don't know. <laughs> So during the 50s, he was also a frequent guest on Long John Nebel's paranormal-themed radio show. You ever heard of Long John Nebel? No. I would have thought that was a fake joke name. Nope. That was was the dude's name. He would discuss a variety of topics, including UFOs, which we have some audio of that we'll play now. And he thought we were kind to our animals and 
she asked me if I'd like to have the bird. I said, I would like to have very much. She brought it in, and she happened to bring a little baby with her and her husband. And we sat around talking, and I was coming up, as a matter of fact, to Long John's program that night to sit in on, on one of the very early discussions of, this is almost two years ago, John. Of, this was out in Carteret, New Jersey, I think. That's right, on Flying Yes. And uh, she said, oh, you're going to be on, on the radio, uh, and you're going to be talking about animals. And I said, Smith, no, you're going to be talking about flying saucers. And then I regretted that statement. Oh, she said, flying saucers. And uh, I said, look, please, don't think that I believe in all this stuff, but, but I'm very, very interested and have been for many years. And I do think that there are some things in the sky which have not yet been identified. And then the husband, this engineering question, popped and said, I know there are, because I worked on one of them. And he said, I know that thing was in the sky. And he said, if it was in the sky at the end of the war, and then he explained himself in Germany, he said, I don't see why it shouldn't be in the sky now. Because, after all, um, the prototype of this and uh, one flying machine, the engines, etc., etc., went, uh, certainly, he said, I know that some of these were taken to the Russian side, and he said, I, I think that some others were brought to this side. And he said, it's the plans or the craft? The craft, according to him, went the other way. What's the other way? Uh, to Russia. To Russia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or mm-hmm. to that side. And uh, a certain number of plans and uh, some of the engineers came to this side. He pointed out, and this is a point that I want to make, John, that if technology had got to that point, if it had, that's what I want to know. I mean, the man may be making this all up. The engineer? The engineer, yeah. But what he says coincides with what we now find in various other magazines. I mean, there's RAF magazine, and there's one from Yugoslavia here. There's uh, another one, quote, uh, by a, an ex-Vermont officer who uh, has written it in Spanish and all the rest, which we can give you the details of, because uh, I have no memory, but they're all listed here on paper, and we can give them to you if you, if you want them, I think, sooner or later. Uh, he may be uh, telling a great story, but what he told at that time, that's two years ago, I was very interested. I didn't do anything further except put it on paper. And then when we began to find these other statements which coincide uh, with them, we put the whole thing together, and then we sent it in back, back to this engineer in my draft, as I said before. And he sent me these six pages that I have here saying, uh, your memory is mistaken, and he had certain things correct. And what he said was this, that uh, technology had increased to that point in Germany uh, before the end of the war, and that the results of their researches and their mock-up, and he stresses in this article that they were not factory models, which I was an engineer, I don't know all these terms, working models, working models, but they were not working models, they were actual prototype planes, they flew, two of them, and, and uh, he said that Hitler inspected one of them and very nearly flew in one of them. That's his story, I don't know, but how does he know all this? Because he worked in that factory, he said. Was this a rumor on the part of Hitler, or did he see Hitler... Uh, at the factory examining this craft. He was present as a junior engineer at this factory when the big man himself turned up to inspect it. Was it. No, it's not Mehausen. Munich. Munich. Outside of Munich. Hitler yeah. inspected Wait. the prototype. I'm just puzzled about this whole business from a purely pragmatic and basic point of view. Yeah, I have a newspaper man on my right. I haven't carried a newspaper mm-hmm. car. We want to know what these things are. You get a lot of serious-minded citizens say they see things in the sky. All right, well, let's cut out all this Venus and Mars stuff and come down to what the ones which appear to be practical are. 
Everybody shilly shares and sits around and says, oh, hallucinations and bad liquor and all the other amiable excuses. But um, there are too many serious-minded flyers. If that wonderful gentleman, Mr. Howell, had not been killed in that in that plane, yeah, he would have been on this on this uh, on this it's program true. one night. Uh, he was one of the most profound skeptics. In fact, he was a professional skeptic until he, in his commercial plane, paid for, look after forty citizens that were sitting behind him, uh, ran into something which uh, he enormous ran into, which really alarmed him. And you should have heard him talk. He's not the only uh, professional pilot I've heard talk. Yeah. All right, well, all right, it's all imagination. If it isn't, what is it? Now, um, or what are they? I believe that they are uh, extraordinarily varied. There's all kinds of junk floating around, as I said before, but the, some of them could be developed on this on this earth recently. Mind you, get starting about World War Two. You get people. Uh, you want to repeat that? Well, again, really, uh, do you know anything about this? Uh, you remember the frequent references to Swedish government interest in UFOs? Uh, well, not called UFOs, but I understand from a friend of mine that I was at school with, Sweet, that um, <coughs> subsequently in the Swedish Foreign Office, that uh, there had been a lot of uh, peculiar things reported throughout the ages in the sky over Sweden, which of course were not called UFOs or flying saucers or anything of that nature in those days, going way back. And that the Swedish uh, Foreign Office had become considerably distressed about this uh, long before the First World War. And one of the, what these things were, uh, particularly um, types of mirages, which were said to be inexplicable, uh, showing all kinds of uh, things pretty clearly over Stockholm. They are, they are recorded in your newspaper, and I can't pronounce it myself. I like it. I mean, I, 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 it's great because the audio quality and their diction is like so f***ing 40s and 50s, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I think, I think that is a very interesting point, and I would like to... You know, <laughs> Yeah, doesn't he have a great voice, though? Yeah, absolutely. I can see why he was on stuff all the time. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but you see a great example of, of how his mind worked uh, with the whole, let's be pragmatic about the approach, you know? It's right. Get, get rid of the whole Mars and Venus uh, bullshit, and let's talk about what things could actually be, since there's a lot of people saying they see things. Yep. I appreciate that. That's what I think you and I preach a lot. So it's fun to hear that coming from one of the forefathers. Yeah. In 1954, he spelunked in Floyd Collins Crystal Cave in Kentucky. Just yet another fucking adventurous yeah. thing. <laughs> Why not? 1955, a disaster struck on the night of February 2nd when a fire broke out in a barn on his New Jersey property. And unfortunately, uh, is where he kept... A lot of his animals. Oh. Yeah. And and uh, uh, unfortunately, nothing survived. And then later that year, two hurricanes hit New Jersey, causing flooding along the Delaware River, which uh, is n- right uh, near where he built his zoo. Mm-hmm. And the zoo was flooded, but he was able to get most animals out in time to save them for that one. But that was apparently enough of the zoo business for him. Yeah, yeah, I... I don't know what compels a man to get into that zoo business, but I can't imagine it takes more than one of those to want to get the F out. Yeah. From 60 to 73, he he just did tons of guest and spot appearances on both radio and TV and net, all the networks and many local sta- stations, uh, averaging about four per month. Media darling. Now, in the 60s, uh, now the 60s saw a rise in Ivan's interest in <clears throat> anomalous phenomena. Flora? Anomalous, anomalous phenomena. phenomena. 
Some have, uh, some have said he became a monster hunter, to which he replied, I've always been hunting monsters, you see. Anything. Look here. We know that there are more than a million animals now that we have got Latin names on. But the bug hunters, the entomologists, say they think we've only found one-tenth of those which exist. So there's probably ten million different species of insects. Nine million more to be discovered. Well, a monster, you see, has two meanings. Monstrously big or monstrously odd to look at. So you can have a little monster, like the spirochete that causes syphilis is called a monster, because it has a monstrous habits compared to what we think we'd like it to have. So I was hunting monsters all my life. When I did wander around, I found, I found all kinds of things when I was a kid, to which everybody said, oh, no, no, absolute nonsense. You can't have a river monsters in Africa, and you can't have giant bats in the Orient. Well, the local people said, sure, we'll show them to you. <laughs> He's 100% right. Yeah. I mean, I love I loved the fact, the high five to the entomologists of the world, but like, <laughs> but it, it, that's, that is such a spectacular uh, perspective to have on it. Yep, and it's true. The, uh, I, I just saw a, an article today or yesterday that was like some people went out on, on a short research expedition in Australia, came back with like a hundred new spider species. Do you mean it was a trip into Nightmare Town? Well, potato, potato. <laughs> potato thylacine. <laughs> Hashtag Moonlight Tigers. They sound exactly like Dio, by the way, everybody. <laughs> they don't. There's way more synth in Moonlight Tigers. It's mostly synth. It's entirely synth. <laughs> Wham meets uh, Dio. <laughs> <laughs> I'd listen. Uh, Ivan had already witnessed a few lectures by Charles Hoy Fort on his cross-country trip before college. Uh, he became a fan of uh, he became a fan when Fort argued in front of a room of a thousand hoity-toity quote top-notch types, <laughs> bunch of sissy asses, that the Earth was flat. Then, in the last ten minutes of his lecture, explained how that was all wrong. Oh, twist! <laughs> It was a weird sense of humor that intrigued Ivan and then went on and went on to read Fort's works and became a fan of uh, Fortiana in general. Yep. I love that. I love getting into a room. You know, I'm the crazy guy. Everything's this way. And then being like, okay. Yeah. Then breaking it down. You bunch of rich, dumb bastards. (laughs) You stupid checkbook loving motherfuckers. Back then, a checkbook was like huge. It was an enormous thing. Weighed yeah. 17 pounds if it was an ounce. That's why everybody had big dogs back then, just to carry the checkbook. <laughs> the lotto companies still uh, still operate on that system. That's right. That's why we have the. Uh, that's why they got the phrase "book hound." Not really a phrase. <laughs> Dave's hoy fortin it up right now. <laughs> yeah, I am. In 1965, he founded the Ivan T. Sanderson Foundation for Advanced Studies in the Biosciences and Geosciences. That's two sciences. Uh, and then in 1967. That foundation became the Society for the Investigation of the Unexplained in order to collect material on unexplained things, catalog, and investigate them. The goal of the society was to investigate everything of a factual nature that wasn't yet explained, including providing advice, assisting in fundraising, and promoting the findings of members. 
They also published a newsletter called Pursuit that followed everything from living dinosaurs to UFOs, or as he was saying in that uh, audio clip, UFOs. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's what UFOs. UFOs. It's important to point out that Ivan wasn't into the occult or mysticism or ghosts. In fact, he found those things quite silly. He liked tangible things or things that can be seen or measured. It might seem a little silly in a way, but uh, one point he made in the book Invisible Residence stated, quote, It has always seemed strange to me that almost everybody not only believes in, but almost casually accepts the existence of a universal power, God, the Almighty, or however they choose to designate a supreme being. Without a single iota of the sort of concrete evidence for his existence that they so clamorously demand before they will even believe in anything as concrete as a lake or sea monster. I mean, ballsy move putting yeah. putting putting God and Nessie in the same in the same envelope. So yeah, yeah. he's saying people will believe in uh, a God that they, according to him, don't have any evidence for but then refuse to believe in an animal that lives in a, in a lake right? Or claim, claim to have seen. Now, after Ivan began taking more of an interest in Fordian subjects, the scientific community began to turn on him and his reputation. Uh, and from what it seemed, not understanding his goals and mo- motivations, because he wrote about abominable snowmen and sea monsters, which were considered kooky subjects and a waste of time, they pretty much considered Ivan himself kooky. Yeah, they, yeah they, he was uh, besmirched by that which he studied. Right. And it's a good, good thing times have changed, Dave. Right, we've come so far since then. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Now, the 70s saw his bank account shrink, unfortunately, but he still found time to appear on late-night radio shows and even still some network TV appearances where, we would, where he would kindle a love of Fortiana to a new generation. He spoke about the Bermuda Triangle, vile vortices. He, he spoke about the Bermuda Triangle and vile vortices and things like that. Uh, and then he received the worst news. Alma was diagnosed with cancer. Um, she fought it and he helped her as best he could. And then in 1971, Ivan himself was diagnosed with cancer. Um, he became suspicious that he and all, uh, Alma had gotten cancer at the same time, thinking per- perhaps it was a retribution for his spy work in the 40s. But it was probably just paranoia getting the better of him. Uh, I mean, I know, I mean, there are things you can do that make cancer more likely, but I don't think there's a way to like just give cancer. Sure, fire. I don't know. I, I, if there is, it's uh, elaborate. Yeah, well, I don't know about Alma, uh, but I mean, from what I read about him, he was hardworking. <laughs> he he like was nonstop, and I think he also smoked a lot and drank a lot. Like, he oh, he's was, he comes from a whiskey family. He's yeah, got he a was, duty. That the paint that he was hard in was well worn. Let's just say yeah, that. truth. It's uh, <laughs> a terrible way of saying. That. Yeah, I still liked it. I thought it made perfect sense to me in the moment. Right. Uh, Alma passed away in 1972, and Ivan continued to fight his cancer. Uh, and apparently, on her deathbed, Alma told Ivan to marry the assistant director of C2, whose name was Marion Fawcett, um, which was an adopted name. Her real name was Sabina Warren and became Sabina Sanderson. Uh, so we'll, he we'll, did marry we'll, her. 
Yeah. Now, it's also a, a testament to Ivan's indomitable male power that even um, fighting cancer, he's like, yep, let's get married. Yeah. Never, never a dull moment in Sanderson town. As he got worse uh, and the cancer advanced, Ivan was besieged with visitors and friends hoping to see him one last time. <laughs> to which he said, quote, I don't mind dying, but it's such a nuisance. It's interfering with our work. <laughs> I got, I got shit to do, bro. Yeah. F- off, cancer. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I don't care if you're just killing me quietly in the background, but you're really messing with me right now. <laughs> Uh, he died on February 19th, 1973 at home. Uh, so C2, the Society for the Investigation of the Unexplained, disbanded not long after that, as did its files. Dave's buddy Lauren Coleman wrote in <laughs> 2007. <laughs> One fault of Sanderson's, however, may have been his trusting of others. As he was getting sicker and sicker with cancer, after Mark A. Hall's year of being a director of C- of C2, the end times of the society in Blairstown, New Jersey, were not happy ones. More and more people, unscreened, would end up coming to visit the Sandersons. Many would, quote, look at the files and walk away with materials. By the end, the rumors making the rounds were that people in station wagons were backing up to the concrete bunker and loading books and files into their vehicles. The borrowed files and books were never returned. Ivan Sanderson's concrete building that he had built on his land, specifically for his decades of materials, was legendary. It was filled to overflowing with files and his priceless library. By the time of his death, the collection of the society was, more or less, gone. Lame. Yes, super dick move, quote-unquote, Fordians. (laughs) Now, in another article written by Lauren Coleman... I just, I can't leave this alone. So (laughs) Flora, leave it in or don't. But he, Lauren Coleman, obviously disgusted at this. Well, yeah, rightly so. Used the phrase, said said that the the C2 library was, quote, raped clean of materials. And that is a weird way to phrase something. It's weird, but strangely apt. I mean, that's sort of what, what happened. It's just an odd, odd choice of words and i i can't get that out of my head it was just yeah, bizarre it's nothing that i'm gonna pick up and start to <laughs> right yeah describing yeah. things is yeah that it's not it's 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 not the new dry fuss dave man i was so hungry last night okay all right i went to the um, fridge you know you know you remember all those wings i took home from dinner oh <laughs> yeah 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 that that's let's not help that to catch on please yeah uh, so anyway, he was described by many as charming, debonair, curious, and generous. He inspired countless people to learn more about the world around them, both seen and yet unseen. If we haven't mentioned it yet, he actually coined the damn term cryptozoology in the 40s. He authored numerous works on nature and Fortiana, and even some fiction under the name Terence Roberts. And so we raise a glass to an inspiring figure. Ivan T. Sanderson. We drink to thee! Slancha. Slancha. hard ticket. Yeah, man. That guy, that guy, that guy wore the paint off of, when, from going into it so hard. Then he repainted it and then That's wore right. that off. 
And then he built another court so kids could also <laughs> grow up knowing what it was like to go hard in the paint. Right? I will link in the show notes the unofficial biography written by Richard Gregonis, Gregonis who met him and followed his works at an early age uh, and, and was a great resource for doing this episode. How, how about that? How about, how about him? Man, that guy was a gangster of Fortiana. I'll bet you, like, he seems like the kind of guy who's, like, you know, 60 years old and still wants to wrestle a street punk. Yeah. he. I feel like he hit life right at a, a very interesting age in where he could get educated like crazy early on, travel the world, like, go anywhere he wanted, be safe, be uh, learn things, do things, work at places get in a war yeah survive get on tv survive mess around, survive mess release around bees in new york city <laughs> survive thrive i mean isn't that isn't it a crazy life like dude that is that guy was that guy was doing it he was doing it and doing it and doing it well he was representing queens <laughs> life was raised out in brooklyn <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It is fascinating. You know, when uh when we started when we called the Audible, and here's a little here's a little peek up the ship here. Um That's not a phrase. Up, up the ship's bow. Uh eh, it's still not a phrase. <laughs> I don't wanna, after all that raped clean stuff, <laughs> I don't want to do the real phrase. So <laughs> uh, thank you. When we called the Audible, I, I was like, well, we we wanted to talk about Ivan Sanderson. Let's do it. It seems like, uh, you know, a cut, cut and dry kind of thing. And then I, I started reading his biography and, and like being like, there's too much cool stuff to include. Let's take another day to put the research together on this. This isn't as hit and, hit and quit as, as I thought. So interesting stuff. Interesting person. Very cool. And uh, very appreciated just because we share the sentiment that he had. You know, have an open yep. mind about stuff, but but still be skeptical uh, and want to find out how things work, why they do, and do the science behind it. So good on you, Ivan. Right? Do you know, uh, the weirdest thing is that, like, when I was doing this research, the only thing that he was genuinely afraid of was puns! <laughs> Yeah, I know we didn't even nutshell it, but it was that's what I wanted to do. So go ahead, shove a nutshell on it, because I already said it. So you can't, there's no way to change it. There's no such thing as editing. So <laughs> that's I'm C. Sanderson in a world traveling, spy hunting, African bee field nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Now rewind the podcast 20 seconds to that segue and then fast forward to now. There we go. Flora, how about you go first? All right. Uh, I'll start off just trying to get on base. There was a society founded to investigate strange fashion, things like shoes that doubled as hats, scarves that were rare, uh, and clothing that could turn into other clothing or accessories. And uh, you could read about this uh, this society in their newspaper, Purse Suit. <laughs> Purse Suit. I like that. All right. It's a okay. purse that can turn into a suit. <laughs> did 
Did you get it, everybody? Did you hear what I said? <laughs> now, one thing that Ivan did not ever talk about until late in his life is that his greatest strength was also like his secret curse that um, from a very early age, uh, Ivan Sanderson realized that he had the ability to speak with the dead. And after he moved to uh, the U.S., uh, and became, you know, kind of more known in certain circles. Some of these spirits followed him. Mm. And in particular, after a, a uh, lengthy stay in Washington, D.C., the um, old leadership of the country. And so I mean, he walked around with Abe Lincoln just muttering in his ear. And, uh, you know, John Quincy Adams, presumably, maybe even some Washington in there, probably Andrew Jackson. I hope he ignored him. Um, and it was, uh, finally later on, he decided to finally write a book about that. And, uh, the, uh, book he wrote was called invisible presidents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one, uh, one of his many studies involved learning about membrane phones. I don't know if you, uh, if you've heard of those, uh, and the, the science of adding buzzing to one's singing voice. You heard of that? Because uh, we forgot to mention that he also had a degree in kazooology. <laughs> nice. I like that. Do you know that uh, Ivan Sanderson, uh, during his time in the United States, decided, uh, you know, through his zoological research, knew that at one time, you know, uh, there were giant sloths, there were lions in North America, mammoths. And obviously there was no more mammoths. There's no more giant slots and no one on earth was ever going to let him, you know, try to reintroduce lions. Um, but he did get permission from the U S government to try to reintroduce, uh, uh, camels into North America. Uh, the problem was, is that they were just, they were ill prepared, uh, for the environment and for the other animals. And they were just getting beaten up all the time. And so, and he spent a lot of time out in the field trying to keep them alive, uh, stitching them back up. Um, and he finally wrote a book about his experiences called How to Sew North American Camels. <laughs> I love it. I, lo- I wish all of our episodes had lots of book titles to work with. Yeah, yep, yep. Weird ass book titles. <laughs> yeah. They were too long for me. I was going to make a, a situ joke. And I was like, man. Too much to try and pun on. <laughs> like, too many words. Yeah, so, well done. Them's puns. Them's puns. You know what takes just as much fortitude and, and bare-assed uh, courage? Writing a listener mail. Oh, yeah? Well, yep, that's that's what it takes. You've got to have the, what he, that's the phrase he used, bare-assed courage. Bare-assed courage. He learned it from his dad, who was subsequently gored in a preventable animal exit <laughs> incident. Right. When no one, when no one called out the uh, the warning of listener man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man! All right. First up, we got an email from Bombardier. Uh, hey, Dave and David. Hey. Hey. Thanks for creating the Blurry Photos Archives podcast. You're welcome. Uh, I've been following you guys for a while, but I have to say I've always wondered what that Alistair Crowley episode was all about. Oh, boy. Me too. Yeah. 
Now, you probably don't remember this since it was in your halcyon days uh, when the podcast was young and you weren't so cocky about yourselves. It's so true. But in episode eight, witches, you promised at the end of the episode that if anyone wanted more witch stories uh, to write you requesting them and you would definitely do another witch episode. I'm here to cash in on that check. Whoa. This is a this is something that no one has ever done. That's true. Yeah, so more witch stories, please. Now, mind mm. you, I'm not particularly interested in witches, but I do want to see if you guys will actually live up to your promise. Don't statistically, do that. statistically, no. Statistically, <laughs> not so much. Uh, I mean, God, I, I'll tell you what. I'm just relieved that it wasn't a certificate request. <laughs> Uh, so now that I'm finishing busting your chops for posterity's sake, I just finished the evil clans episode. So I suppose I owe you a pun. Archaeologists recently unearthed the remains of an ancient Greek comic entertainer. There was enough DNA for them to create an exact genetic duplicate of him in a laboratory. He was the performer's clown. Oh. The clown. Yeah. Also use a superpower. Seusser power, the ability to at will speak entirely in Dr. Seussian rhymes, except when an attractive woman is around, at which point you will do it compulsively. <laughs> oh my That's God, even better. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Thanks, Bombardier. Thank you. Man, what did we say about which stories? Uh, you know what? I don't have enough gas in the Wayback Machine to, to, to figure it to out. To go there right now? Yeah. Right. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll see what we can yeah. come up with then. Heard from Giannis. Hi, Giannis. Giannis has a little little thing about uh, how in, in this day and age of, of news and what you can trust and what's fake, there's some fake Fortiana about his neck of the woods. Fake, fake stuff. So fake, does that make it true? That is absolutely correct. <laughs> and, uh, and he was reminded on our uh, episode with the Expand Perspectives guys about a wildman. A wildman. Uh, that was in one of the, the great forests near Riga in Latvia. An extraordinary ape-man-like entity. <laughs> ape-man-like entity. And it ran away from a farmer. People shot at it. They got it. And it was happy when they when they put food in front of it. I've heard of this. Oh, yeah. Uh, do, I, do we do this on an episode at some point? Because there was something about like powerful buttocks or something. No, that was Zana. That was the oh. ape woman in Russia, I think. Okay, all right. So um, this feels this feels very Zana esque. It does, yeah. But he said he he looked through uh, newspaper archives and found fuck all. <laughs> what what was the term, Dave? Oh yeah, our our new British term was uh, sweet Fanny Adams. <laughs> He found sweet Fanny Adams. <laughs> <laughs> we forgot to use that in our intro. Yeah, oh, we well. We sure did. And first of all, he says there's not really great, quote unquote, great forests near Riga. And it was even less, <laughs> it was even less forested apparently back then in the 30s uh, when this supposedly took place. Uh, but it's it's something that just keeps getting regurgitated by source after source, you know, and, and nobody checks facts and... It's it's kind of one of those. Oh, this sounds good and is interesting. Now it's clickbait. Now everybody. Now I get my ten cents a hit or whatever. So he just wanted to point out the um, the absurdity of it, and he says it's worth noting. You guys uh, bring a much needed clear view without the skepticism being obnoxious or taken away from the fun of it all. 
thanks, Giannis. That's uh, yeah, that thank is what you. we try to do. We we, I mean, we, we don't, may ourselves we're, become we're obnoxious. not without obnoxious. Yeah, we're not without obnoxiousness, but um, we do the best we can. Yeah, we don't what, with we what don't the good Lord gave us <laughs> to do that with the with the source material. Got an email from Joe, who is working his way through the early archives. And Joe, I'm going to tell you what I tell everybody, you McClintock-loving son of a biscuit weaver. I just made that up. It didn't make any sense. Weaving uh, Yeah. If, uh, go to the Blurry Photos fan page on Facebook. And there, deep in its, in its hallowed halls, you shall find that which you seek. Your certificate is waiting for you there. Along with a lot of really great people, at least three hundred of them. That's right. But th- thanks for the music suggestion too. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. How did I miss that easily? Because I just clicked the next email. That's how I missed it. Got a quick correction here from Mint Badger saying um, a while back I wrote to you about a cryptid I read that had similarities to the Spring Hill Jack legend and resides at the Chickamauga Military Park in Tennessee. Well, I was able to actually locate the book from where this information came from. I discovered I had led you astray. You son of a bitch! The entry actually talks about an entity named Old Green Eyes, not Red-Eyed Jack. Uh, Mm. And research shows he is a green-eyed ghoul seen among the Civil War dead. While he has caused two car accidents, there's no mention of him leaping into trees and bushes. I don't know where I got this 20-year-old misconception, or at what point the memory became jumbled, but I humbly apologize for the misinformation. I have given to you, your listeners, and for any damage I may have caused. It is a mistake I deeply regret. Agonizing (laughs) over it late into the night. A misdeed I can never take back or atone for. Denied warmth and joy for my own sins. It's cold. So very, very cold. (laughs) So sorry to interrupt. Dave's audio takes a huge dump from here on out. We apologize and will be upgrading equipment so this stops happening. Thank you for your patience. Now back to these two wankers. P.S. If you had to kill and eat a cryptid, which one would it be? It's a really good question. Uh, hmm. Well, tough call because none of them really strike me as good eating. Pigman. There you go. Oh, gross. Two reasons. One, who doesn't like bacon? Two, I get it. God. I get it. It makes sense. So that's my vote. Pigman. You're the worst. <laughs> I I might go for the Snallygaster. That thing's got to taste like chicken. Does it? Isn't that the thing that fell in the vat of, of uh, moonshine? Drank yeah. itself to death or something? <laughs> it's well pickled. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you it definitely wouldn't be a mermaid because it don't like fish. <sighs> So, anyways, thank you, Mint Badger. Yeah, thanks, Mint Badger. Got one from Sky's the Limit. Uh, hi, D&D. Hi. That's us. First, D&D, where I'm from, usually means I'm at Dunkin' Donuts. Boo. Perfectly fine. <laughs> really? You're against Dunkin' Donuts? I f***ing hate Dunkin' Donuts. I will go on any record saying that. I think their shit tastes like plastic, yo. Oh, 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 hey, look who's so tough. Okay. I, I am <laughs> tough. I'm a, I'm a Dunkin' <laughs> Duncan Toughman. Yeah, you say that in Boston, and they'll have you. Sure. Um, this is my first time emailing you, but I was the Facebooker who asked if, uh, in the Narco Saints episode, if you guys had known that English slang for underwear is pants. I do remember that. I do remember that. 
gives a whole new meaning to Jeff going to a club and Taylor made pair of pants. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? Just pants? I thought it was knickers, but you know, what do I know? Yeah. Anyway, I was a kid in the eighties in summer, Somerville, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say Maryland, but that's MD. So you should check out our spider gate cemetery episode. Extra. sode. yeah, there you go. I can't find any news articles backing my memory up, but I do remember kids saying that they were approached by a clown trying to leer, trying to lure them not into a van, but into an ice cream truck. Oh, it's just a really nice clown. Awesome podcast. I recommend both, both you and candy chat all the time. Thank you. Thank you. That is the most valuable currency in the whole wide world next to money. Uh, that's patreon.com slash blurry photos. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Heard from old slingshot. Jimmy. I hope it's a neighborhood weirdo who wears a very specific thong. (laughs) 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 Hey again, fellas. Now listen to your fantastic Coral Castle episode. And I just wanted to let Mr. Dave Stecco know that as a Floridian, (laughs) he's absolutely right. Woo! It's so rare that someone says my name and then says it right. (laughs) This place is just a bad experience from the panhandle to the tippity tip of the state. Oh, it's funny. This is the place where swamp ass isn't just a state, but a way of life. (laughs) That aside, after the episode, I went around to coworkers, family members, and good pals and asked them about Coral Castle. You know, if they've heard of it, uh, uh, what they thought of the place. Most folks sure did know it existed. But when asked about the more mysterious aspects uh, of the legend, most people looked at me like I was a nut. Now, uh, this is a this is a quote. Now, slingshot Jimmy's actual name inserted here. They said to me, "The guy who made that wasn't some science wizard, but rather some dude trying to make a quick nickel on some rocks." That's what, yeah, they, that's what they told him. We spent an hour talking about that when we could have just boiled it down to that and walked away. <laughs> You are correct. We are not efficient men. And then he goes on to describe a place in Florida there in his hometown. And this uh, this little mysterious place is called Spook Hill. Uh, and it sounds like one of those places where the car rolls uphill or, you know, you park the oh, car yeah. and, and, and the ghost pushes it. And there's also a tale of a Native American warrior who got, in, who got into a fist fight with a giant alligator and they beat <laughs> each other to death. And it was in the book Weird Florida, which is a, 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 I guess, a backhanded compliment. I don't know at that point. But anyway, he says, there's some ramblings from Florida for you. That's awesome. I love ramblings, yeah, no matter where you. they come from. Oh, and any email that opens with me being right is my favorite email. That's so. true. That is true. Mitsuko, I'm just so glad you took me back. And I think things will be different now. I think that you and I can finally get past all the... The problems we've had, the miscommunications. It's just, it's so much nicer being back here in the island with you, honey. I didn't hear anything, Mitsuko. Mitsuko, I, I'm, I'm going to go outside for just a second, okay? I just, just, I'll, I'll be right back. I love you. Show yourself, you son of a bitch. I could hear you. I know you're out here. I don't know how you found me, but you found me. <laughs> oh! John Zilla. How the hell are you, sir? <laughs> um, okay. 
This notice is to inform one David Flora that his presence is requested in the penalty box. Charges during episode 178. One Dave Stecco made reference to Cannibal Corpse. After this, the subject Flora did say she drives me crazy. This is not a cannibal. Nobody on earth thinks that she drives me crazy is a cannibal corpse song. He was making another cannibal-based music reference. Okay, wait a minute. So, so suss this out again real quick. She Drives Me Crazy is a fine young cannibal song. Uh-huh. I had, we were What's the charge? Uh, the charge is that, according to this, you think that she drives me crazy <laughs> is by a band named Cannibal Corpse. Because you said Cannibal Corpse, and then I said that lyric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, you may present your case before the court. We just did. Oh, we haven't said anything. <laughs> Recite the Spine Young Cannibal song in full. Whoa, really going for the maximum sentence on that. DA's office trying to set an example. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dave. It must be an election year. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, in most instances, I'll tell you, me being a a child of justice, uh, someone who follows the law, I would say yes. You know what? He's right. That that was not a a quote. Uh, that was not a lyric from Cannibal Corpse. However, Dave, uh-huh. and I will let. I'm I'm going to ask you to be the judge on this one. Here is the audio clip that he references. Oh, you have it pulled up. I've got it. I've got it around around here. Oh, listen, John Zilla, if he's playing it, this isn't going to go well for you. Because if he, if he had if you had him dead to rights, he would have just let it slide. All right, Dave. May it please the court. I've got the uh, the evidence here. I, I I would like to play you what he is talking about. If it please your the audience, Your Honor. I was thinking you could probably get some cannibal corpses. Yeah, mm. drives me crazy. So that's what he. Is calling me out on. Uh-huh. You said I was thinking we'd get some cannibal corpse in there, and I said drives me crazy. However, Mecca Johnzilla, had you rewound the audio a scant two seconds, you would have heard the following. And You're going to get some cannibals in there. <laughs> Fine, young. <cannibals. laughs> I was thinking you could probably get some cannibal corpses. Yeah, mm-hmm. drives me crazy. Therefore, I present to the court. That my drives me crazy was an addendum to mine own joke of fine young cannibals said just before Dave Stecco's cannibal corpse. I mean, it's a, 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 a Flora is a hundred percent right. And what I like is that this is this might be the single best defense of an accusation of a penalty boxing we've ever had. And my favorite part about it is how completely pointless it is since we're going into the penalty box anyway. And we could have just said, sure, to throw it on the pile. <laughs> I'm a child of justice. I follow the law. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Here's what I submit, Dave. Counter Sue. Oh. I think Mecca John Zilla needs to go to the penalty box for being incorrect. I don't know, man. Do what you want, but Mecca Johnzilla, we we got a Facebook messaging system where you could slide an MP3 right on in there. Oh. Anyway, yeah. counter bitch. <laughs> I do. I do. 
I do like his closing though. We gotta stop meeting like this, guys. <laughs> so cocky, so wrong. <laughs> yeah, we we still have to go in the penalty box for the the dinosaur debacles. Well, we're 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 gonna have to present our case before that, but we want a judge for that, and we have a judge picked out. We just have to coordinate uh, a court date. That's all. So yep. we haven't forgotten yep. trying to slurk. But anyways, yeah, there we go. That That's it. That's how justice is served. Excruciatingly <laughs> specifically. Yeah. Oh, so there we go. That's, thanks, uh, that's Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you guys so much for writing. Uh, again, things like like buttons, Twitter follows, yeah. five-star reviews, uh, patreon.com slash blurry photos, audibletrial.com slash blurry photos, blurry photos slash blurry photos. That's the that's when Flora and I go at each other with knives. <laughs> <laughs> that's the next live cast. Right. <laughs> and uh, real quick, you know, if if anybody hasn't gotten uh, what they're owed from Patreon from uh, um any any month in particular, please let me know. Like I said, uh, I try to keep on top of it, and sometimes one or two will slip through the cracks. Maybe actually, I I don't think that's happened yet, but I just worry about it. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So if anybody hasn't gotten what they're owed, let me know, please. We have a uh, quick promo for the Rumor Flies, guys. I'll put it in right now. Yeah. Rumor Flies is a podcast that confirms or debunks rumors and myths by tracing their origins and testing their veracity with valid sources. Was Walt Disney's head cryogenically frozen? Do humans remain conscious after decapitation? Is it possible to trick a breathalyzer? Find out with Ryan, Josh, and Greg on Rumor Flies. Don't forget to check those guys out. Part of the Dark Myths Collective. Uh, thank you to the Chicago Podcast Cooperative. Go to chicagopodcastcoop.com. Find any number of podcasts to choose from. And don't forget obaku.com. Get a watch. Yeah. What time is it? Watch. Watch it. Watch it, son. Get something for your mom. Uh, Mother's Day will be coming up. Father's Day will be coming up not too long from there. Birthdays. Hell, get them something for Easter. Right? Who gives a shit? Yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah, but 30% off your purchase. I mean, that's that's a chunk of change, yo. Blurry S6, the number six, gets you a fine time piece by our fine friends at Obaku Denmark. And you have until when, Dave? May 14th in the year our Lord, 2017. Okay. Uh, so I think that uh, I think that's it for business. Yeah, yeah. I think that'll do it for, for this episode of Blurry Photos, then. Yeah. So, for this episode of Blurry Photos, I've been David. When am I going to have a birthday on top of the Great Pyramid Flora? And I've been Dave Whiskey Business Stecco. Take those old records off the... Bye. <laughs>